This morning's reading is uh, Romans chapter 8, verses 18 to 27. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the, gener- that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning in its pains, as in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. Hey, good morning, everyone. What a wonderful Lord's Day. Hopefully you are all enjoying your time together as a body of Christ, the family of God, being encouraged and edified and... Reminded together as one body what Christ has done for us. Last week we looked at Romans chapter 8, verses 1 to 18. I appreciate the song that we just had a a minute ago, No Condemnation for Those Who Are in Christ Jesus, because that's the first thing that the Apostle Paul talked about in Romans chapter 8, the very first verse. He said, There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And then he used this line of reasoning in which he said, In light of all that God has done for us, We have an obligation. We have an obligation to move forward and not backward. In light of what God has done for us, we have an obligation to live according to the Spirit, to be led by the Spirit. We are called as Christians to live a new life. We are not to live our old sinful lifestyle anymore. We are to put that off. We are to put that away. We are not to live for ourselves. We are to live for the Spirit and be led by the Spirit. God adopted us as sons and daughters, and so we need to appreciate what God has done for us. As sons and daughters, we receive God's help to stay on the straight and the narrow. So Paul goes on to talk about, from there, about the role of the Holy Spirit and more. So he said that the Spirit testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. The Spirit helps us in our weakness and intercedes for us when we don't know what to pray for, as it says in verses 26 and 27. So think about it. We are told in Scripture that Jesus is our mediator who intercedes for us. So he's like a lawyer who defends us before God. And then we are told here in Romans chapter 8 that the Holy Spirit also intercedes for us. And he helps us and he testifies that we are God's children. So not only does God save us, but he helps us the whole way. He helps us in our walk. Isn't that amazing? So now we come to a new section. We come to verses 28 to 39. That's what we're going to be looking at this morning in Romans chapter 8. And in this section, the Apostle Paul showed how much God did for us 
to make us victorious, not over, not just over sin, but over the world, to make us victorious over the world. We are truly blessed people. We need to realize that. Truly, truly blessed people. Let's start by taking a look at verse 28, as you can see up on the screen there. And in verse 28, it says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And so this morning, there's going to be a couple of little word studies, and there's going to be a little bit of Greek. So hopefully you're up for learning a little bit. Well, God works for the good of those who love him. According to Strong's Greek Dictionary and Thayer's Greek definitions, the Greek word translated as called in the NIV means invited. We are called. We are invited. But Thayer's adds just a little bit more, and he says invited as to a banquet, invited as to a banquet, and then this other definition, invited to obtain eternal salvation in the kingdom through Christ. So we are invited, we are invited as to a banquet, we are invited to obtain eternal salvation in the kingdom through Christ. You might remember the parable of the banquet, when Jesus was talking about the parable of the banquet. Well, what was he talking about there? That's what he was talking about, right? He's talking about coming to the banquet. He's talking about salvation. So we are called or invited to respond to the gospel. We are called or invited to come to Christ. This calling or invitation is to every person who is willing to respond to the call or the invitation. So the original Greek implies that those who have been invited have responded to the call. So when we read that here, for those, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. When we understand the word called here, it means invited and responded to the invitation. Immediately after that, it says, according to his purpose. Well, the Greek word for purpose means setting forth of a thing, placing it in view, a proposal, plan, or intention. So let me read that again. Setting forth of a thing, placing it in view, a proposal, plan, or intention. So, okay, let's put this all together and see what we get then. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been invited according to his intention, plan, or proposal. And, as we mentioned, invited with the, with the uh, explicit idea of having accepted the invitation. So the gospel has been preached, and the invitation to respond to it has been made. This was God's intention, his plan. It has been set forth. He placed it in view. It was God's purpose or plan long ago, as verse 29 tells us. Take a look now, if you will. Let's read verse 29. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. For those God foreknew. If you take that word foreknew and you break it in two, and the first part of that is F-O-R-E, for, and that's a short form of the word before. So God knew before. God knew beforehand. So the Apostle Paul was saying, for those God knew beforehand, God knew before the creation of the world who would respond to the gospel and become a Christian. God knew way ahead of time who was going to accept the call. When he put out the invitation, he knew who was going to come and, and accept that call, that invitation. He knows who will come to Christ and who won't. 
God knew before you became a Christian that you became one, that you would become one. God knew these things ahead of time. So I'm not real crazy about the word predestined here. I prefer the translation predetermined or decided beforehand. I find that is a better translation. God had predetermined or had decided beforehand that those who responded to the invitation, who would answer the call, would be conformed to the likeness of his son. To be conformed has a lot of different definitions, but here the Apostle Paul was saying that for those who obey the gospel, God has determined or decided beforehand that they will be similar to the likeness of his son, whom we know is Jesus. That's who he's talking about when he says the son. So we're to become like Jesus so that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Jesus was the first to die and be resurrected and never to die again. He is the first. He is the firstborn. And it's interesting when it mentions firstborn, the first part of that, the word first is the word protos. That's the Greek word. And so when you think of protos, what's the first thing you think of? You think of prototype, the first of its kind. And that's kind of what it's talking about here. Jesus, the firstborn, the first of his kind, the first to die, be buried, resurrected, never to die again. And Jesus is the first. He has preeminence. He is unique. And he is the eldest brother of his family, which is us. He is the eldest brother. When Christ returns, for those who have accepted that invitation, those who have responded to the gospel by dying to sin in the waters of baptism, at that second coming, they too will be raised never to die again. But Jesus was the first. Take a look at verse 30 now. And those he predestined, as I said before, I prefer the predetermined. So, and those he predetermined or determined beforehand, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. So those whom God had decided beforehand to be conformed to the likeness of his son, he called. He called them when they responded to the gospel. They answered the call, the invitation. So look at the next half of this verse. It says that those who were called, those who responded to the gospel, they were justified. So God sends out the invitation. Those who accepted the invitation, who responded to it, they have been justified. And we know that that means justified by what God has done through Christ Jesus. Justified by the death of Christ. They were justified by, by what Jesus did and not by anything that they have done. So when we respond to that good news, when we respond to that gospel, we have only done what we were told to do. So we know that we are to understand that we need to have faith. We know that we're to repent. We know that we are to be baptized in the waters of baptism. But it's God that's doing the saving work. God is the one that justifies us. We're not justified by anything that we have done. So those who were justified by the blood of Jesus were also Glorified. You might remember in past lessons I, I mentioned that the word glory means praise and honor. Praise and honor. But it also means to take great pride or pleasure in. To take great pride or pleasure in. So we are honored and praised by God after we have been justified. God takes great pride and pleasure in us. When we respond to the gospel... We are justified by what God has done, and God takes great pride and pleasure in us. Imagine, it's like parents taking pride and pleasure in their child for achieving a great accomplishment. So imagine, you, you who are parents, I'm not unfortunately, 
But those of you who are parents, imagine taking great pride and pleasure in something that your child has accomplished. Well, ironically, God takes great pride and pleasure in us for becoming one of his children. Rather than the child achieving something great, God has achieved it. And that achievement is that we have become a child of God. We become spiritually born. We become a new creation. God praises us for it and honors us. And this is made possible by what Jesus did. He justified us so that we may receive glory. Take a look at Romans chapter 8, verse 17. Paul mentioned something earlier in this chapter. He said in verse 17, Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. We share in the glory that is Christ Jesus. We share in his glory. Colossians chapter 3, verse 4 says, When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So we will share glory with Christ. We share it now. We will share it even more when he comes back for us. Let's take a look at verses 31 and 32 now. So notice what it says. What then shall we say in response to this? What are we going to say in response to what God has done for us? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Think about that as a Christian. If God is for us, who can be against us? The question is talking about security. As we have already said previously, there were Jews who were trying to convince these new Christians that they had to convert to the law of Moses and be circumcised. And they were getting after them. And Paul was telling them not to be afraid of these Jews. God has justified you. Don't go back to trying to be justified by your own merits, by trying to follow the law of Moses. Christ is on your side. He'll take care of you. So you imagine the words of comfort here that Paul is using to help them to to deal with these men that are, are getting after them. If God is on our side, then we have nothing to fear as we live in this world. No one can stand against God and win. No one. And God is always with us. And we have that blessing. God is with us. And if God is with us, no one can stand against God. And God is not going to allow anyone to stand against us. And so, if God was willing to send his own son for us, won't he also watch over us and provide for us? God graciously gives us all things through Christ Jesus. Paul's words were meant to comfort these new Christians, but they should comfort us as well. We have these promises for us. We have these great blessings for us. This week, a member of the church approached me and shared something with me that I think is very important to mention. I've stated many times in past lessons that we have a wonderful life waiting for us after this life. But we also have to realize that God will also promise us a good life now, in this life. We may face trials from time to time, but our lives overall are better now that we are in Christ Jesus. My life is much, much better now that I'm in Christ. When I look back at my life before being in Christ, I am so happy, and so should you So should you be. We should all be happy to be in Christ Jesus. We have a wonderful life here. We have a wonderful life now. In Christ, we have peace, love, 
and a clear conscience before God, and so much more. And so the apostles understood this. God's people throughout the centuries understood this, and so should we. We should understand the blessings that we have now in this life and the next. Look at verses 33 and 34 now with me. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. So who will bring a charge against someone God has accepted as his child and has remained faithful to Christ? And so think about the message here. And Paul's talking to this audience who is being persecuted by Jews. And so think of the message to them. And then think of the message to you, to each and every one of us. Who will bring a charge against someone God has accepted as his child and has remained faithful? God is the one that justified that person. So to bring an accusation against that person is like bringing an accusation against God himself. God is the one that justifies us. It is not for man to condemn man, but rather Jesus, who earned that right by his death, burial, and resurrection, is the one who is to judge. It's not for man to judge man. To condemn man is what I'm referring to. So Christ is at the right hand of God. He's the one who intercedes for us against our accusers. He intercedes on our behalf before God the Father. So Jews are throwing accusations around here against the Christians Paul spoke to, and they needed to hear that Jesus, their risen Savior and Lord, was on their side, that he's interceding on their behalf in heaven before God. If you are in Christ, then he is also on your side, and he speaks for you before God. Take a look at verse 35 now. And listen to these wonderful words. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? This question might have been posed in light of the Jews, as I mentioned, getting after these Christians. But Paul's question rings true for us today as well. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Our enemies in the world can't do it. They have no power to be able to do so. And not just our enemies, but nothing Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Not trouble, not hardship, not persecution, not famine or nakedness or danger or sword. As a matter of fact, some of these things should actually draw us closer to Christ instead of separating us from him. If we remain faithful to Christ, we remain in his love and will join him when he returns for us. Verses 36 and 37 now. As it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. So we see a quotation from Psalm 44, verse 22. Those of us who are are taking the Psalms class, uh, being taught by Paul Burston, can truly appreciate this passage here. And if... If you're not doing anything on Monday evening, might I even recommend join us for the Psalms class. It's been wonderful. But why would he quote that verse here? Why would he say this to them, this audience, these Christians here? Paul would definitely know about persecution, wouldn't he? He would definitely know about trials and hardships. He faced a lot of them. Some commentators believe that Paul was referring to himself and the other apostles here. And that that's what he was talking about when he says, 
For your sake we face death all day long. We are considered a sheep to be slaughtered. And so talking about what they went through to bring the gospel to the audience here and everyone for that matter. But in the context of what Paul was talking about here and in light of what Psalm 44 is talking about, Paul is likely referring to he and his audience facing death all day long for Christ's sake. That's probably what it's referring to here. For your sake, referring to Christ. For your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered a sheep to be slaughtered. Nothing can separate them or us from the love of Christ. We stare death in the face every day. We are fortunate that we do not live in an environment as harsh as they did in the first century. However, many of us have gotten that look of death from people, haven't we? When we just even talk about Christ, they just they look at you like, what? You know, I'm sure that many of us have dealt with that. And so we face death all day long. Paul said in the next verse, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. So whatever we face, whatever persecution comes our way, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Even if our enemies were to kill us, they don't win. Let me say that again. Even if our enemies were to kill us, they can't win. They don't win. We win. Death frees us from this world. We are more than conquerors because we have overcome the world. Paul wanted his audience to understand this in light of that persecution from the Jews. So verses 38 and 39, now the last two verses of our text this morning. And take a look what he says here. He says, for I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Nothing. Christ has done everything for us to put us in a right relationship with God. We no longer have to worry about sin keeping us from him. Sin has been taken out of the way so that we can draw close to God. Jesus took care of that problem. The blood of Jesus allows us to worship and serve God with a clear conscience. We no longer have to worry about death either. Jesus took care of that problem as well. He won the victory over death so that we can, in turn, win the victory over death, but also victory over the world. Christ paid the price for us, and what he has done gives us the victory. We are more than conquerors. We are people dearly loved by God. We are conquerors, and we are dearly loved people of God. If you are in Christ, let me challenge you today to remember how much God has done for you through Christ and to remind you how truly blessed you are. You are sons and daughters of God. Remember that. If you are not in Christ, you're still in a battle. Victory only comes when you come to Christ. If you have not been baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, won't you make that choice today and proclaim victory over this world? Come forward today. Make that choice today as we sing our invitation song together. Have thine own way, Lord.